Lauren Boebert has announced that she's switching districts, not moving, mind you, just switching districts. We'll talk about what it means. Former President Trump was left by himself far too long over the holiday weekend, as evidenced by his absolutely unhinged postings on social media. On the bright side, it's a preview of his arguments for the coming year, so it's worth breaking down. The Michigan Supreme Court sidestepped a case about Trump's eligibility for the ballot, and the U.S. Supreme Court denied Jack Smith's request to fast track a pivotal, a pivotal legal debate in the federal trial. It's beginning to look like Trump might have a real chance of making it to the election before he gets convicted of something. The first year of a second Trump administration are coming into focus, and it's, of course, totally terrifying. We want to help you make the case against this insanity. Welcome back to the podcast for the 54% of Americans who vote for progress in every election. We want to convince their conservative friends and family members to join a majority. This is Majority 54. All right, Jason, fill me in. What's going on here with you know, our favorite congresswoman okay. from Colorado? Yeah, uh, the the Bobert, this news really dropped just as we were coming on here. So she's announced that she is switching congressional districts. I believe she's going from the fourth to the third or from the third to the fourth. I'm not one of the one of those. Um, but what's interesting is in some parts of this, she's going from the third to the fourth in some parts of this district, including where where she lives. Um, there's like three districts between her and this one that she's going to represent. Um, and she's been pretty transparent about the fact, it, it appears, that uh, she just doesn't have as good of a chance of winning in the third. As some will remember, um, Adam Frisch lost to her by a little over 500 votes last time. In fact, it looked like he was ahead and then there was a recount. Um, and he was running again. He is running again. Um, and uh, I, yeah, I think she came to the conclusion she was going to lose. Now, the fourth district uh, is much more Republican, so it will be represented by a Republican. But there is a clown car of Republicans wanting to run in it already. We'll see if this changes that. Um, look, I, I don't know. I'll no, just she's stop not there. planning to uh, move. Is that is that no. right? She. Mm-hmm. Wow. A, a lot of states. I don't know you know how it is in new york in missouri you you just got to be a resident of the state you don't have to be a resident yeah of that the is district. true of new york too yeah yeah now, it's just it is, rare that it ever happens right yeah. because it's weird um yeah. it's i would say frowned upon it is um <laughs> going to be an issue in the primary i mean it's just it, now i you have to imagine that she has the advantage in the primary just based on name recognition Although one of the people running is a state senator who probably has some decent name recognition. But when you think about Republican primary voters, they're pretty partisan. A lot of them probably really like Lauren Boebert. Um, but I, I don't know. The whole she just wants to use you, doesn't really want to represent you thing is frequently a pretty effective argument, um, particularly when it's a choice between people who will ultimately all vote pretty much the same. Um, and uh, Yeah, I'm yeah. not holding my breath that authenticity is going to win the day in a mega primary. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. Um, look, here's on the bright side, uh, Lauren Boebert, one of the most extreme members of Congress, uh, has decided that the way the election is shaping up, she's likely to lose it if she has to run in a competitive race against a Democrat. Now, that district is still plus Republican by a few points. I mean, it leans Republican, but she thinks she's going to lose. I think that has to be taken as somewhat encouraging when it comes to what her read of the political environment is. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't put it past her to win. I mean, that primary electorate is so like, so distant from any calculus that you and I could generate here. Like, like what they're looking for, who knows? I mean, all the crazy stuff she's done in another district probably benefit her. And it's not even like she faced any significant primary challenge in her former district. It was the general election that was the big problem. And that's what I'm saying. I think that's a reason. Now, we're about to go through a lot of things in this episode that are going to make people not feel particularly great. Um, and uh, and so just the fact that um, that Lauren Boebert looks at the situation and says, I would prefer to run in a competitive primary against a bunch of other people as opposed in a district I don't live in, as opposed to running for reelection as the incumbent member of Congress in a district that's already elected me twice. That seems like a good sign for uh, team democracy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Uh, should we talk about Christmas? 
The uh, yeah, I mean, speaking I, of things that are not team democracy, let's talk about Trump on Christmas. <laughs> so he went online on Christmas Eve and Christmas, and he, you know, he spread his message. You know, everybody, every politician puts out the bromides and you know, this time of year, you know, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays to everybody. It's it's always a you know parlor game to see like you know how much is is this politician going to mention Christmas itself? Are they just going to say Happy Holidays? Is this going to lead to a Warren Christmas accusation? You know, Trump, I think, took a different tact. Uh, I'll read for you what he said. And most of this is actually all caps, which long-time listeners will know, depending on my mood, I, I, I can't really get into that kind of thing. I'm also in a very echoey office, so I'm going to be a little bit more subdued when I read this. But he said, they spied on my. This is, by the way, this is the. I want to reiterate. This is the holiday message from Trump. They spied on my <laughs> campaign, lied to Congress, cheated, cheated on FISA, which is it's like it's like cheated on the SAT or something. Rigged a presidential <laughs> election, allowed millions of people, allowed millions of people, comma. That's its own clause. Allowed millions of people, many from prisons and mental institutions. Okay, so it's a complex. Edition. Yeah, we need like just a, a positive situation. Yeah. yeah, to invade our country, screwed up in Afghanistan, and Joe Biden's misfits and thugs like deranged Jack Smith are coming after me at all levels of persecution never seen before in our country. Three question marks. It's called election interference. Merry Christmas! Exclamation <sighs> point. Now there's more, but I want to pause there because I do think, as we would say in the, in the education world, let's close read this. There's there's a lot of text here to digest. What stands out to you, Jason? Uh, well, one, <laughs> it's all about him. Um, yes. It's certainly not about Surprise. the baby Jesus. Surprise. Yeah. It's not about Jesus. Um, it's, it's not about it's, Santa Claus. It's not about yeah. the children. Not about uniting it's our country. Not, yeah, It's not about anybody else. It's like, they're coming after me. Now, we know that the implicit message for Trump is always, if they can come after me, they can come after you. But this yes, is which like is a good message. all caps. If we're, if we're ranking effective me. messages, that's a very effective framing. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, I would just, as a sidebar, what this made me think about is you were mentioning how politicians are always sending these out on holidays. It took, after I stopped running for things, it took three or four years for me to break the habit of feeling, or, or like, uh, to no longer feel the urge on like major holidays to put out some sort of, you know, tweet about it. And now yeah. it's just great. I just like say nothing or I say something ridiculous and uh, not yeah, quite this I, ridiculous. I, I, I noticed this the other day. I had, I got a message from Mount Sinai Hospital on Christmas or something saying, and I'm like, what staff member has to stick around and write this dumb message that nobody cares about? It's like every organization I'm on the board of, I started writing back being like, what does this serve? Like, it's yeah. just an opportunity to unsubscribe from your email list. Like, nobody cares. You know, if you're going to write That's like right. personal yeah. messages, go for it. But it's like, let's, let's end the generic holiday message. And in, in that sense, this is anything but generic. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Trump has definitely uh, done that. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know. What else sticks out to you about it? I mean, the big thing for me is that, I mean, what I would say to people about it, if if I were using this as evidence, I would just be like, look, everything he says is about him. It's none yes. of it's about us. It's everything is about him. He certainly has never met a period or a semicolon. Um, the The other thing is, did you see this Rogan clip? I should have teed this up. Uh, oh, have you yeah. seen this Rogan click on, clip on the internet where Rogan is talking to some MMA fighter and they're talking about how you know old Biden is and he's unfit for office and all this kind of stuff. And they're like, did you see this clip? And they're talking about like some speech Biden allegedly made about the Revolutionary War where he said one of the reasons why XYZ didn't happen is because there weren't enough airports. And they're like, mm -hmm. oh, that's disqualifying. And then they tee up the clip and whoever this producer is tees up the clip. And it's of Biden making fun of Trump for the very thing that Rogan and this guy said was disqualifying. And then the, they still don't realize what's going on. And then the producer, to his credit, is like, no, no, no. Trump actually said the thing that you said is disqualifying. And then they played the clip of Trump saying the thing. And then Rogan and this MMA fighter just kind of were like silent. And they're like, oh. 
that's inconvenient. <laughs> that's what makes me yeah. think of this is like, if, if, if Biden said something like this, and I think Salty's loading this up. So when he lets us know, he'll have it. I think it's worth playing for our audience because this is the kind of thing that people are talking about. It's like, you know, Rogan, I think, plays the sort of part of this guy who's independent and he says he likes Bernie, he says he likes Michelle Obama, but unquestionably the stuff that he's putting on his podcast is pro-Trump, anti-Biden right now. And I think this is a, this is a moment where he defrocked himself. Mm-hmm. So let's see. I mean, uh, if Salty has it, I guess we have the benefit. He says, give okay, me two. He needs a couple minutes. No well, problem. Let's, go- let's talk about the next Trump uh, yeah. missive. So he said that he then says, included also are world leaders, which is capitalized, both good and bad, but none of which are as evil and sick, which has like those, what do you call those? Like uh, single quote, like the end quote, like the one that you use when you're trying to say that you're quoting somebody and they're quoting something. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Little single ones. As the thugs, all cap, we have inside of our country, which is capitalized, who within their open borders also capitalized, inflation, all caps, Afghanistan, surrender, green, new scam, high taxes, new energy independence, woke military, all these are capitalized, by the way, Russian, Ukraine, uh, Israel, now Iran. He's just, at the end, he's just listing issues. Russia yeah, slash all Ukraine, electric car Russia. lunacy. And so much more are looking to destroy our once great USA. May they rot in hell again. Merry Christmas. It's actually again Merry I Christmas. Like Trump Trump does get credit for his comedic timing. It's like there there is a version of it that like the again Merry Christmas. It's like yeah, but it's impeccable. like comedic timing. It's comedic timing where it's like a self parody. Yeah, but okay, it's like he's doing. Alec Baldwin doing him. Yes. Um, okay. So what the, with what with these, what I always try to do is I try and find little previews of message pivots here, and in order to make them valuable, right? Yes. And the 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 two biggest, or at least you know, things he's going to emphasize, emphasize. The two biggest that I see here are one, he put inflation in all caps, which means even though inflation is going down. He's definitely hanging on to the idea that he can continue to talk this into being an issue. Right. Um, and then the other, the other one that's really interesting to me is I, this is the first time I've heard the term. Maybe it's he's been using it, but Afghanistan surrender. Um, as yes. you know, like I, I would certainly not call me a fan, uh, call myself a fan of the way Biden has handled the Afghanistan issue. But I say that recognizing. That he has handled the Afghanistan issue roughly one thousand times better than a Trump administration would have. Like I'm very aware of that. Um, But also, it's total revisionist history. I mean, to to just be like Afghanistan surrender, like it it appears this is going to be a thing. They start saying, and people should know that Trump's plan after he negotiated with the Taliban, like face to face, and you know went went to them and and did all of that was. Uh, one, he's the one who like let all of them out of prison. And then two, uh, he was going to withdraw in May of 2021. Um, and then Biden came in and Biden wanted to get out as much as anybody. And Biden was like, we can't do it that early. And he pushed the deadline back by what, three months? Um, and so, uh, four months, three, three months. Yeah. So the idea that he's going to call it the Afghanistan surrender when like Biden, Biden was like, no, we're waiting three more months to pull out of the country as opposed to Trump's plan. So I, yeah. that's one I think to be on the lookout for. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot in here and we'll get to this later on in the episode. Like he's talking into his insanity, actually effective policy arguments that, you know, whether you agree or disagree with the substance of it, there are key constituencies that are animated by this. Right. So if you go, if you look at any of these interviews that happen in Iowa, for example, people like Trump's tariffs in the heartland of America. They also hate the sort of immigration uh, quagmire that we're in right now. Uh, Key, even union constituencies of Democrats, as we've talked about, hate the electric car subsidies and, and blame them in, you know, in part for 
some of the labor woes that we have in this country and some of the issues around costs in the manufacturing of cars. So you go through all this and then I think there's like, there's a sense of quote unquote global chaos with what's happening in Ukraine and Israel and the GOP seizes on this kind of stuff and says, oh, look, the world's out of control because Biden is weak, right? That's the arguments they make. Now we could spend all episode poking holes substantively in all these things and we have over the course of this podcast, but those arguments, each one of them actually is fairly effective with certain subgroups of the population that Democrats have taken for granted before. And so I think yeah. that matters. And I think, and just to tee up this Rogan clip, I think the the subgroup that we should really think about when we think about where this kind of stuff is effective are persuadable voters. And there's a, there's a very large chunk of persuadable voters who are really just low information voters, which is not to say they just don't know as much. I mean, I guess maybe, but it's it's not as unkind as that. It is just people who they are going about their lives. They have jobs that are taxing. They have families. They have things that are going on. And these are folks who sometimes they vote for Republicans. Sometimes they vote for Democrats. They're, they may be very far left or very far right. They're not necessarily in the middle. But what they are are people who are going to, with about a month, maybe six weeks to go in the election, they're going to start really paying attention and making up their minds. And so what he's doing here is he is sort of prepping the battlefield for that. And the key to winning folks like that over is just what you said. It's not necessarily, in many cases, to propose really uh, realistic solutions. It's to tap into their, into what is causing them anxiety, into what they're they're afraid of. Yeah, and that's what he's doing. Yeah, and I, I think what they're banking on is that Trump's unhingedness is a wash to Biden's age and lack of coherence, and so that mm -hmm. the voters like penalize both of them equally for those two things, and that the tiebreaker is some combination of novelty, right? Which even though we had Trump as a presidency, president, like they're counting on the fact that Americans have short attention spans and they just always like change. Um, and second, a sense of disillusionment and division within the Democratic Party. And honestly, that is not a bad bet. Like if that's their strategy, that is, that's, I'm not saying it's, guaranteed to succeed, but it certainly is maximizing the really crappy hand that they have. I'd add a third, which is affinity group, meaning yeah. if, 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 you're a, if you're a white male in particular, but really a, a white person in this country and, and you're not exactly sure what you think about the issues and you feel like the world is in crisis, and here's Trump saying, I'm like you, and I and I'm all about the things that you're about, and I, you know, and you're confused by pronouns, and and I'm telling you, pronouns are dumb, you know, whatever it yeah. is. That's and I mean, look, you got a better shot at it if your friends are also listening to Rogan, and that's that's the reason I think to play this Rogan clip to get a sense for what these conversations might be like. Well, you know, there's people that voted for Biden that are doing it now. They're, yeah, they're, they're like, I, what did I do? Right. Like, what did I choose? Like, I, how is this guy? Yeah, you just can't listen to an interview where he's saying some of the stuff he says that just makes no sense at all. It's like you, you can't listen to those interviews and feel like you made a good decision. I, I don't know how did you Did you hear what he said like yesterday or a couple of days ago? Mm -mm. He's he talking about the Revolutionary War. He's like, one of the reasons why we lost the Revolutionary War, one of the problems with the Revolutionary War was they didn't have enough airports. Yeah. <laughs> have you seen that? I saw that. Like what? The like hell? pull him. It's <laughs> crazy. If, if you were, if you had any other job, and you were talking like that, yeah, they would go, "Hey, you're done." If you talk like that to a doctor at your yeah. medical exam for to fight, they'd yeah. be like, "Okay, like obviously you're not fighting." <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. would also here's you know eight weeks of of being helped out by a professional like right you, you might not ever do anything again. no it's yeah. it's it's one of the wildest things ever it's insane yeah and the the media gaslighting you to protect it's just people are so afraid of trump being in office and yeah. republicans being in office you know a few moments later hanging out with the guy i'm like man well you know it's just the media narrative i mean so many people were fed this lie that he the russia collusion yeah. was this was this the video you're talking about let me see what this one says i don't think it is what? Oh. By the way, 
the same stable genius that said the biggest problem we had in the Revolutionary War is we didn't have enough airports. <laughs> Whoa. That's yeah, that's it. Whoa. Right, just, what? Just for, for the record. Is that <laughs> fake? It's not fake, but he was referencing Trump saying that. Here's what Trump's saying it in 2019. Oh. Donald Trump said something about that. He didn't say G- Jesus. He said a stable genius, and that's where the, oh. the transcription. Let me hear what it says. What did he say? <clears throat> in June of 1775, the Continental Congress created a unified army out of the revolutionary forces encamped around Boston and New York and named after the great George Washington commander-in-chief. The Continental Army suffered a bitter winter of Valley Forge, found glory across the waters of the Delaware, and seized victory from Cornwallis of Yorktown. Our army manned the airport. It ran the ramparts. It took over the airports. It did everything it had to do. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So he fucked up. <laughs> yeah, he did. But I feel like <laughs> that's it. Just, you can yeah. tell too. It sounds like a little different. He's like, you can tell he like messed up his words. But yeah, yeah, he's just, I don't know. To go over the airport. Well, that's the thing funny. about that's but the thing about media these days. It's like right, you, you got to look into it. Okay, I love. Okay, uh, there's so lots to talk so about like, here. Yeah, like the ending of like nah. Yeah, what can you we, do? they it's went the from being like, it's like let's you're the pull, media. Let's pull the president to. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, he fucked up. And then they're like, well, clearly he misspoke. And it's like, yeah. well, no, actually what happened is he confronted the word rampart and went, I don't know what that is. Yeah, <laughs> it must be an airport. On, yeah, he's clearly reading off of a, yeah, that's a good point, by but the way. But then he ad-libbed to airport. He was like, right. I don't know what a rampart is. It must be a misprint. So he ad-libbed to airport. I think my favorite part of this clip is when the MMI, MMA fighter says, if you said that in a pre-fight physical, they wouldn't let you fight. I'm sorry. I think that if you said in a pre-fight physical that you think that the airplane was invented in the 1700s, they'd still let you fight. Right. I think they'd be like, this guy probably doesn't know when the airplane was invented, which is probably why he fights for a living. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, what's, what's obvious is that there's this narrative. I've talked about this a lot on this podcast of the mainstream media and the evils of the mainstream media that are feeding the audience this poison. And these people like Rogan, they they need to believe that there's this big bad media out there because it's how they look themselves in the mirror and say, this is why I do what I do. But what they failed to own up to is that they're bigger than any mainstream media platform. And so when they get go on and they misinform their audience, like they would have done if their producer didn't step in just there. Uh, and that they still did, by the way, like any sympathetic Rogan listener to that is going to come away saying, Oh, like the, the message still is Biden is the one who's senile. There's a tepid correction right. at the end of it. Right. Like they failed to own up to their own, like sense of power. Like they are the most powerful people in media right now. And yes, it's an improvement. And Rogan did this under pressure. He added this fact checking because he was pressured to at, a, at various points. But it, they're still wrong and they're still arrogant and they're still incredibly biased uh, in ways that you don't even see in some of the worst mainstream media outlets. It goes back to the word that uh, Stephen Colbert invented during the Bush administration, which is truthiness. It doesn't have to be true. It just has to feel true. Right. So. Right. Well, let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to go, we're going to do a special edition of Trump Legal. There's a lot going on there. Uh, and then we're going to dive into Trump's plans uh, for 2024. Some great reporting out of the New York Times. Uh, all of this and more when we come back. Real talk. of men over 40 experience some form of ED between the ages of 40 and 70. But it's always been a taboo topic. But thankfully, HIMSS is changing that by providing affordable access to ED treatment all online. And HIMSS is changing men's health care by providing access to affordable and discreet sexual health treatments all from the comfort of your couch. 
It aims to provide access to clinically proven generic alternatives to Viagra and Cialis up to 95% cheaper with options as low as $2 per dose. The process is simple and 100% online. No uncomfortable doctor visits. Answer a series of questions on their site and a medical provider will determine the right treatment option. And if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and discreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can pay one low price for your treatments, online visits, ongoing shipments, and provider messaging. And Hims has hundreds of thousands of trusted subscribers. So if ED is getting you down, it's time to change that. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash majority. That's H-I-M-S dot com slash majority for your personalized ED treatment options. Hymns.com slash majority. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply and see website for details and important safety information. Subscriptions are required. Price varies based on the product and the subscription plan. If you're a long-time listener to this podcast, you know I've been drinking AG1 for many years, well before we've ever partnered for this podcast. And when I started drinking AG1, I noticed dramatic improvements in my energy, in my health. And what I love about it is it does so much. It, it does a lot for your gut optimization, your stress management, immune support. And since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition by continuously refining your formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your health. And I didn't just replace my multivitamin with AG1. Uh, I love that every scoop includes prebiotics, probiotics, digestive enzymes for gut support, magnesium and B vitamins for energy support, adaptogens to balance my body's stress level, vitamin C and zinc to help support my immune health. And I recommend AG1 to all my friends and family because it's, uh, you know, it's backed by the latest science and they maintain, they maintain super high quality standards. So, um, I've noticed so much of a difference both in my life and those of people around me. And if you want to join us and take ownership over your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash majority. That's drinkag1.com slash majority to check it out. Hi, Robbie. <laughs> Before we go into the Trump legal stuff, uh, I, I there's a thing where I, I'm not sure whether you and I will agree on this. Um, I think I have a contrarian view, but over the last few days, a, a new uh, sort of approach has started to be used against Trump. And we've seen some of these ads. They're mostly online ads. They come from folks like the Lincoln Project, and they are built around the idea that Trump smells bad. And I guess a couple of people gave interviews where they said that, you know, he had body odor. Adam Kinzinger. Yeah. Okay. Kinzinger, I think, said that. Yeah. Which is fine. I mean, maybe the man doesn't smell good. Um, I, I am at a loss to figure out why this is a good idea that is not going to backfire. But I'm open to being convinced. The backfiring, I have a hard time believing. I think one could argue it's just a waste of time. But I actually think... There's an outside chance that on the margins, it's important in the sense that like there's all this data in scholarship around whenever authoritarian regimes uh, try to gin up hatred towards a people, they try to commingle disgust with the idea of a given person or people, right? And this is done with, you know, usually with evil intentions, right? And I'm a big believer that people on the sort of quote unquote good side should do what they can to deploy some psychology here. And I think the idea that you're, you mix people's perception of Trump with a visceral feeling of disgust, which is that he smells bad, I think is psychologically potentially very persuasive. But beyond that, I think it, it does two things. One is it, it's a little bit of a step in the direction of he's an old smelly person, which is always good. But two <laughs> is, <laughs> but two is, it will absolutely drive him crazy. Like, because there's it's Kinzinger, so it's, there's probably some truth to it. And like, if you think about the mechanics of being Trump, the idea that he would smell bad makes some sense to me. I mean, let's be honest. No offense to our audience, like. There's a greater risk with every decade you live that you just smell worse. Like it's just, I mean, there's kind of like a curve. It's like I feel like when you're a teenager, it peaks at yeah, teenage like, years. I think like a, like undoubtedly you smell the worst if you're like a 16 year old boy. Then you kind of like get your hygiene in control, and then you start smelling worse. I mean, it's one of the reasons why adult diapers now sell greater than kids' diapers in most countries around the world. So, like. 
I've, I've, I've now dug myself an absolutely massive hole here, but all <laughs> I'm saying is, but all I'm saying is, there are it's enough. If there's enough upside with very little downside, especially like it's not like Biden's going to be making that argument. Although, like the idea of him on the debate stage, if it gets really messy, just turning to him and being like, "Look, like your own Republican colleagues say you stink," like the <laughs> the Trump's reaction to that, like would be honestly worth whatever harm comes from it okay here's why i don't like it one i don't see much utility anymore in trying to drive him crazy because i think it's a, such a short drive i think he's already there right. and and i don't yeah. think like i don't you know i i think in 2020 there was some truth to that um in in 20 okay but now the other thing i worry about is Look, Trump has become very deft at taking everything that is said about him and turning it into something that is said about his voters. And I worry about this becoming uh, like a, a meme of the elitist liberal class doing the ultimate, they're a basket of deplorables statement where they all smell bad. And this is a hard becomes, one because most people don't, won't like, people would be like, yeah, I'm like, I'm like politically incorrect or whatever, but most people aren't going to lean into the I smell bad thing. It's also illiterative. But it sounds in a way. like a, a class argument. But are you, are you familiar with the diaper Don moniker, which I think is worth it alone? Like the, the diaper yeah, Don kind is of. such a good name. We are really, we are really elevating. I brought this up, but we're really elevating we the discussion. This, so, here, audience, man. if you're going to get mad at yeah. me, like generally speaking, I try to think through oh, my. Let's really be real, Ravi. They're going to get mad at me. Our audience is full of <laughs> liberal people who just want to see ads of him about him being, you know, smelling bad. Uh, Wait, I'm okay. So, Salty saying the Trump spokesperson responded. If if Salty could throw that up on the screen, maybe or in the chat, there it is. Fires uh. <laughs> uh, back at claims that the ex president smells. Um, okay. Yeah, they just said that. Okay. Well, I don't know what they said. I'm sure they just said it's not true, and he smells like a rose. All right, let's get into his legal fights. I support it. Uh, for the record, okay. I well, think it's worth. It. Well, we so. we can take no. Majority 54 position on this because we're split. Yes. Okay. Split decision. Uh, so it, not not so good on the, if we have the, the soundtrack, it's Trump legal, right? I don't know if we have the. the nice. So, <laughs> I, I live for that, really. The, so <laughs> generally bad news on the Trump legal front this week. This is what we would say is Act Two, right? We, the Act Three is when hopefully the good news comes, but the challenge comes now. Michigan's highest court said Wednesday that Trump can appear on the state's Republican primary ballot, but they declined to weigh in on whether Trump is eligible to run the general election. And uh, similar challenges are proceeding all across the country. And my sense is some will succeed, some will fail, and the Supreme Court will be the final decider on this. And it's this is a complicated one, Jason. You are Secretary of State; you probably can make heads or tails of this i think people are saying that this might okay, be okay sorry anomaly. sorry we gotta go back salty just put up the spokesperson's comment i i have to interrupt this for this the, the okay the spokesperson said adam kenzinger farted on live tv and is an unemployed fraud he has disgraced his country and disrespects everyone around him because he's a sad individual who's mad about how he's okay no denial about trump's order order there i gotta be real yeah. uh they just lashed out the other way. It, All right. Anyway, back is to it not, But I just want to point out that the official spokesperson of the front runner for the GOP nomination fires back at an accusation that he smells by saying you farted on TV. This is where we are <laughs> in 2023. All I want to know is like when I'm living in a bunker somewhere and people who listen to this podcast are saying are questioning my life choices I want you to remember this moment when I'm like in full blown in the mountains plotting the revolution. I just want people to remember this one moment and say, I told you so. The disintegration of our society was well underway when those plans were happening. Uh, back to also, Michigan. Not to, well, yeah. also, hold on, not to parse things, but are we to believe that Donald Trump has never farted while on live TV. But the, they they forgot the word. I assume they forgot the word audibly, um, because yeah. I've done a lot of live TV. I am certain I have farted while on live TV. I've never audibly farted, so I don't really know 
what I don't even know what this argument is. I mean, it, frankly, with all the live TV Donald Trump has done, if he has not farted, he needs to see a gastroenterologist because he has a problem. But anyway, all right, Listeners, back to the Listeners, just so case. you know, just to peek behind the curtains, this is what happens when we record late off schedule and on vacation. So that's that's what yeah. happens. And after you've had it, we'll get to it, I'm sure. we've had And in a week day. with very little it, news. And, it yeah. With very little news. But okay, one piece of news. And explain this. Former Secretary of State, you know Jocelyn Benson. You sure. know how this stuff works. Is this a this was a four three Democratic majority, which I think surprised some people that they declined yeah. to weigh in. How do you read this? Well, okay. So first of all, um, in a case like this, I, I haven't looked at the pleadings, but I assume that they had to sue the Secretary of State in the first place. That that's the defendant, and it's because I believe Jocelyn Benson took the position of. I, as Secretary of State, am not empowered under Michigan law to disqualify someone from the ballot. Correct. And yeah. then somebody sued to say, no, you are empowered. And that's so that's important because that's a very different issue um, that this court was asked to decide than, say, in Colorado. They were they were asked to decide the legal issue of whether or not the Secretary of State was refusing to exercise a power granted to her, which would be to disqualify him from the ballot. And what they ultimately concluded was that she was correct that the way that the statute is set up, now they weren't interpreting the US Constitution the way we talked about it last week. They were interpreting state statutes in Michigan and how it empowers the Michigan Secretary of State. And what they concluded was, is that it is largely a ceremonial role to place people on the ballot, that the Secretary of State administers the election and they are not statutorily empowered in the state of Michigan to decide who can be on the ballot. Um, which is why, so to, yes, to some extent they punted, but it is why when we say that they decided that this this has to do with the primary ballot, but it doesn't ultimately decide this issue for the general election is true because I am sure somebody is going to sue rather than on that point, just to say he shouldn't be allowed on the general election ballot because, uh, you know, under the U.S. Constitution because he, he committed uh, insurrection against the United States. So it's sort of a to be continued. Yeah, I mean, the Supreme Court is going to have to weigh in on this. Yeah. And, you know, we've talked about this before. I'm not, conf I'm in no way optimistic that they're going to rule in a way that's going to make our audience happy. Uh, but the Supreme Court also decided, you know, we speculated on this last week. They decided that the they're US not going to. Supreme Court now. The US Supreme Court, that they're not going to fast track the immunity question. So, you know, simultaneously, I think they are going to take up the question about whether Trump should appear on ballots, but they're not going to weigh in on the immunity question until the D.C. Court of Appeals decides. And they're going to be, in a, in a matter of weeks, going to be at least hearing that case. Uh, but it usually takes a while for a decision to come. A lot of people are saying this could potentially delay that particular case uh, until after the uh, election, or at least very close mm -hmm. to the election. Yeah. And, and so, okay. Uh, here's why that matters. Um, is because, uh, the, we have this idea in our mind that the DOJ is independent and from the white house. And what we forget is that that's not in the law anywhere. That's just a norm that we've all established. Right. And so, um, Donald Trump absolutely can, like we've all wondered, can he pardon himself? Well, he can do more than that. He can get into office. He can decide. He can pick an attorney general who doesn't believe that the DOJ is independent. He can do, and we're going to get into this in a minute, all the things he says he's going to do about staffing the, the new administration. And then he just says, you're going to drop the charges against me. The only real precedent for something even remotely approaching this is that when he, when he went into office last time, there was a case under the Civil Rights Act um, against the state of Texas on voting rights. Uh, where they were saying that Texas had been violating uh, folks' voting rights based on the barriers they were creating to voting, and when Trump took office and he had a new, he had Sessions as Attorney General, uh, they switched sides in the case, which is kind of incredible. Like when you think about it, I mean, it's literally like they brought the lawsuit in the first place, and then just imagine one of the parties just one day picks up their stuff and goes from the plaintiff's table to the defendant's table and says, "Well, now we're on this side of the case." Uh, and they started defending what Texas is doing. So that can absolutely happen. So that's why his whole game is run the clock, run the clock until he can appoint the attorney general. Yeah, it's a whole separate question of legal ethics, because if you were on the defense 
team in a criminal trial, you wouldn't be able to switch the prosecution or vice versa. Like that right. would legal ethics would preclude that. It is actually really interesting that that's even but allowed. It's, but but it's the United States versus. So the okay. United States, if your client changes their position, yeah, that is wild. Uh, well, okay. So one big thing to talk about here, Maggie Haberman, among others, in the New York Times had this long piece that went through a bunch of different sources. It, Trump's own words, words from his spokespeople, uh, you know, interviews with people who are part of the campaign and part of his sort of shadow group, and basically pieced together, I think, a very clear picture of what the Trump uh, presidency would look like and what 2025 would look like if Trump wins based on the words of Trump and the people around him. And this is a pretty scary picture, Jason. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in a lot of ways. Um, I guess first and foremost is that he's made it very clear that he's going to pursue political opponents and indict them. Like he's not messing around. Like he's going to instruct a Justice Department to indict Joe Biden. And I'm sure to try and do it in a jurisdiction, you know, where they're going to prevail and try and throw them in prison. Uh, yeah. Like, they might actually succeed. I mean, that could actually happen. Um, that's, I don't even think, look, if you're Joe Biden, that's the most frightening thing. Um, but uh, I think, I, I think that, uh, look, I, <laughs> it's hard to even like talk about. Uh, I think that's the most frightening thing. But, but for us, for like the rest of us, to me, maybe one of the most frightening ideas in there is altering the civil service rules so that you can just put political appointees in every position. Because if mm -hmm. you think about the first go around with the Trump administration, it was like, like I have, I have close friends and I'm sure you do too, who worked uh, at the civil service level, high up at the civil service level in government, who like when they had crazy people um, who were the, the cabinet officials, it, they still were able to keep that in check. They called it the deep state. I think the rest of us would just refer to it as like people trying to govern by not, not refusing to do what they wanted, but like, you know, continuing to do their basic job uh, and bringing the expertise that they had to it. Um, and then advising the people at the top, like why you may not want to do that thing the president's asking you to do. And in many cases, prevailing upon them to not do the thing that the president is asking them to do. But that's not what they're doing the second time around. The second time around, they know how to do this. And so now it's not, you know, in the past, it was something scary like Charlie Kirk or Joe Rogan to be the secretary yeah. of whatever. But what's scary about it now is that that's not what it is. I mean, sure, you might you might appoint one of those people to some position like that. But what's scary is, is that you're also appointing those people to all of the positions beneath it. So now you have nobody trying to make government do it. And you have them all coming from a movement that believes to their core that government has no good purpose to serve whatsoever other than it, you know, exacting revenge. And if you don't think government has anything good to do, then you're not going to penalize people for putting arsenic in water. You're not going to do any of those things um, because you'll have nobody dedicated to doing it. They'll all be so busy updating their truth social uh, and, that, and their Twitter or X or whatever the hell. So. It's one of those things that's really hard to explain to the average American because they will be like, oh, the president comes in, they appoint their own people. They don't know the nuances of a political appointee versus um, a lifer. And they also like, it's, it's one of those things in a world where people adhere to norms, it's the kind of thing that people would jostle over. Like how many political appointees, how much power does the government have? And if the intentions are pure or at least okay, it's not as catastrophic as if, you know, you're trying to, you know, bulldoze, you know, every possible uh, government employee who's telling you that you're breaking the law. And they've been explicit that they want to undo a lot of the Watergate era regulations that create independence for the most important questions, like the rule of law and national security. Uh, and then there's like these, you know, they, they did a good job, I think, of outlining some of the strict policy proposals coming from Trump. And I think some of these dovetail with some of the stuff that he was ranting about on Christmas. So it does seem like there's a, there's a bit of a symmetry here. He wants to dramatically ramp up tariffs, which I actually think are fairly popular. 
the tariffs are. He wants to, you know, basically extend the trade war with China and ramp that up. Also pretty popular, even though the effects of it won't be, but that's not what really what his concern at that point. And He'd be a second term president. Yeah, know? he's fi- he's figuring that no one will assign the effects of it to him. Yeah, which he's probably nor, right nor about. does he care. I mean, his yeah. whole I've always said his whole governing philosophy is just get to tomorrow. Yeah, he wants to do all sorts of draconian stuff on the border. He wants to use the military to police the border. Also probably popular, I would imagine. Like, So you mm-hmm. go down through this list of policies that he has. A lot of them are like, will be framed to the American people in ways that I actually think are going to be compelling. And that's why when he tucks into that something that's not that compelling, which is that he's going to use the machinery of government to go after his political enemies, he's banking on the fact that the right wing has done an effective enough job of saying that that's exactly what Joe Biden is doing to say, all right, it's a wash. Trump's saying he's going to do it. Biden has done it already. The Democrats have done it. Therefore, we're going to evaluate people on strict policy terms, which as absurd as it is, nobody thinks of Trump as a policy mind. The simplicity of what he's saying actually is going to be compelling to a lot of people. And the newness of it, like the short attention spans of the American public are such that they're like, oh, yeah, I'll try something new. And so I do think that this is not crazy. Like the, the, the craziness is in the implementing it ethically is wrong and crazy. And a lot of this stuff will do permanent damage to the United States, if not eviscerate any sense of the rule of law that our country has and democratic norms. But I think from an electoral strategy perspective and an impunity perspective, he's probably on solid ground. Yeah. Um, And I think as demonstrated by, uh, Salty, you can go ahead and put up that graphic, as demonstrated by the fact that He's starting to believe that he's he's no longer in a desperate I gotta run so that I don't get convicted and thrown in prison thing. I think at this point he thinks he's gonna be president again, based on the fact that like he posted this word cloud that I don't remember who it was, uh did uh not a friend of his did, and when they, they interviewed voters, I guess it was what the Daily Mail interviewed voters, which I guess maybe would be a friend of Might his. Might have been the independent, but, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But they they interviewed. Oh, the voters. Daily Mail. You're right. Yeah, it was the Daily Mail. Yeah. And and they asked, you know, what were the top things that came to your mind when you thought of a new Trump presidency? And it's like revenge. Um, I, I'm not sure that a lot of the people who said that meant it in a bad way. Um, yeah. They said things like dictatorship, dictator, corruption, and he posted that himself, which means one, he absolutely envisions himself being a dictator, and two he's feeling emboldened and he's feeling untouchable. And uh, I think that that is pretty frightening. And I know that there's a lot of people out there who are like, I don't know if I'm going to get invested in this election. I I don't like Biden that much. And I don't like what he did about Israel. I don't like what he did about this. I don't like, you know what, come this time next year, you better get the hell over it. And I say that as somebody who has disagreed with a bunch of stuff that he's done. Um, And because it's like that old that old analogy like you're not you're not trying to find a partner to marry it's public transportation take the bus that's going to get you the closest to where you got to go you're trying to get to and that ain't trump Mm. it's biden so you better get out there and work yeah i I, i'll say it again i think that the possible scenarios in front of us as a country are absolutely crazy and it's kind of weird because everybody's just kind of going on with their lives so everybody's like yeah you know i'm like you know I'm investing in my 401k and I'm, you know, like getting that mortgage or whatever. And I'm like, it is weird that we have a roughly 50% chance if we're being generous of a dictatorship. Like mm-hmm. that, that seems like we're not taking it seriously enough. Like, I know right. it's a crazy thing to say because Democrats, I think are accused of, you know, of hand wringing or saying the sky is falling or whatever, but I don't think people are alarmed enough. Like this, there's a significant chance that this is lights out for this experiment. I choose to, at least for the time being to remain optimistic that as now that we're going into the actual election year, that people will engage some more. Um, That's my hope. Um, And as we get closer, more people will come home, uh, you know, on both sides, but that there's more of us than of them. Um, and we will once again narrowly avoid that fate, but it's going to take a lot of work. So somehow, let's now segue to one for us. 
and talk about uh you know our, our week i'll just the last th- four days have been crazy for us so we hosted uh christmas and we're jewish but like everybody gets work off on christmas so and it's a pretty secular holiday for a lot of people so we hosted our family for christmas for the first time we've like never hosted anybody at our house that was kind of stressful and then the next day the 26th i had uh, dental surgery and then today <laughs> today's the it's the evening of the 27th right now and then today um true had he's 10 and he had surgery for the first time he had his adenoids removed everything good he, everything is good he was super scared but like what is an adenoid it sits up here at the top of your sinuses and um he has been like chronically congested for his entire life like he's never really been able to breathe through his nose which makes the fact that he's like such a little athlete and he can run the mile in seven minutes just so much more incredible he's like he just sounds like permanently he sounds like a person with a really bad sinus infection and um and so they looked and they they saw that he had he was a 90 percent blocked up at the top of his nose so they um put him under and he was real scared but i mean somehow he didn't cry he like shook a little i was really proud of him i was really scared for him but from his perspective he fell asleep as they were rolling him into the emergency or into the operating room and he woke up on his couch here at home today (laughs) wow and he's been eating and playing video games. And I got him and I Madden 24 for Christmas. So oh, my God. I can only imagine how good that is. I think the last Madden I played was 98. So I can only imagine so how good, good it's got. It's uh, ridiculous. Wow. All right. You're in Costa Rica. I'm in Costa Rica with some some common friends. The pod, Adisu Demesi is here. Mike and Liz Simon. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this place is it's great. You know, I've been coming here now for four years since the, the middle of the pandemic. and been working mostly, but the it, it was good to get away and good to to plot this sort of escape from the you know the U.S. Uh, authoritarian regime of Trump when it has to come. So I'm building our bunkers so that we can record Majority Fifty Four from a, a safe location in the future. <laughs> in yeah. exile, yeah. Okay, yeah. well, we'll just we'll laugh. With I'll be it. like um, Fidel Castro in the mountains, you know, like the. Uh, what are they, Sierra Madre, or whatever they were? Like, that's what. There's got to be a better analogy we can use. Um, <laughs> yeah, Che Guevara. Somebody who. Uh, yeah. Yeah, some, yes, yeah, we'll, we'll go with that. All right. Well, um, everybody, as we come to the end of the year, please feel free to leave a five star review on whatever you use to listen to this show. It helps more people find the show. Uh, you know, you can find me on Instagram and everything else at Jason Kander. You can find Robbie at Robbie M. Gupta. Thank you to the Midas Mighty. Remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today. Happy New Year.